0: Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible.
1: And in life you find where maybe your worst failures were of moral failures that you didn't want to think about and they just make you cringe because they're so bad how you handle the situation or what you did, the choices you made late at night or in the heat of an argument or something. And really, some people make such bad decisions, they might be in jail for years because of those things. It might take years before even society restores you to a chance to have a rematch. But you know, it's it's a moral rematch. It's where the previous great failure happened, and God allows you to face the same thing and see how you handle it a second time. That's exactly what happened here with Judah. It's the same thing. It's the brother. It's the brother of Rachel. And he's standing before Joseph, and Joseph put him to the test. And he passes the test. That's the key thing. He gets a rematch, and he passes the test. The one who sold his brother into slavery is willing himself to go into slavery now for the other brother. The one who betrayed and sold his brother into slavery, is now willing to spend the rest of his life in slavery when facing a similar situation. Where in his youth, in the strength of youth, he had a great failure that affected him for decades, his whole life. It affected marriage. It affected parenting. It affected everything. And now, a broken man He's going to do what's right when faced with the same situation where he had done what was wrong. It's a great lesson for us because it teaches us that it's always too early to quit with the Lord. It's always too early to quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. If we're alive and we have the breath of life, don't quit. There's too much that God wants to do. We all have great failures. You, you You can't quit competing you just can't quit like when I was a coach with surfing I just I could handle a lot of things bad decision making stuff like that but I just could not handle quitting just because you tripped over yourself and inflicted self pain I mean it's not over don't quit look at my sister don't quit just because you're homeless and pushing a grocery cart around Vista and talking to the street like at 7 in the morning don't quit the next thing is rehab and finishing it don't quit the God of restoration and revival and renewal and recovery is always ready to move the moment we're ready to, to do the right thing. And he'll give us a rematch with our failures. It's always too early to quit. And you might just feel so steamrolled by failures of the past. We all, love hopes all things, love bears all things, love believes all things, and love never fails. We don't want to ever quit in applying the the mercy and grace of the Lord to our life, and we don't want to quit. Get applying it to other people's lives. We don't ever want to throw anyone under the bus. We want to always hope the best that the next time they face something, they'll be triumphant. Remember, I told the story about my sister where she started to get, get clean a few years back, and she had bought, got about two months of traction, and she smoked pot one time, and that put her back on crystal meth, the alcohol, everything, back on the streets. The, the prescription drugs and all that stuff. It set her back for years. One bad decision set her back for years. And I told her when we had this conversation, when her license was restored to her the first time in eight years, she told me she got her first tank of gas last week. I filled it up for her when I gave her the you know pop's car. But she said, I just just bought gas for the first time in eight years. It's a great feeling. Yeah, it is. It is, isn't it? Welcome back. Yeah. (laughs) But I told her, well, you know, you can be sure that you'll see that again. Someone's going to offer you weed somewhere down the road. I mean, you could try and hide yourself in a monastery in you know, the mountains of Europe, Eastern Europe or something, but somewhere, somewhere, somehow, someone's going to come up to you and offer you weed. You will get a rematch. So be ready for it and make the right decision, right? All you recovering people that ever recover from anything, you know that, right? You always get the rematch. Yeah, I mean, you get the rematch, but we just got to tip our hat to Judah right here because he did the right thing. And that's, that's hope for all of us. It's, it's hope. It's encouraging. Our failures don't define us. What defines us is our faith today and our willingness to make the right decisions today with hope and confidence in the Lord for tomorrow. That's what defines us. So props to Judah. Good job, Judah. We're proud of you. Where you failed in betraying one brother into slavery, you are now willing to go into slavery for the other brother. Praise the Lord! That's a good testimony. That's a gospel tract to pass out at the pier. We read on in chapter forty-five now. There's more to the story. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, "Make everyone get out, you know, from me!" And so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, "I'm Joseph. Does my father still live?" But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Basically, they're just completely blown away. And Joseph said to his brothers, "'Please come near to me.' So they came near, and then he said, "'I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine had been in the land,' And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. This is just an incredible story. Like I said, there's a lot of people that have nothing to do with Jesus or the Bible that do. Huge productions, you know, like Broadway productions of the story of Joseph in his coat of many colors because it's such a fascinating story. It appeals to humanity in general of hope for something better. But here when he's revealed to his brothers, we see something where we see Judah's redemption or in his rematch, his redemption, that in the rematch, he does the right thing. So there is a accountability for that for all of us and we'll get it. So don't quit. Don't give up. You'll get the rematch. And uh, you can't live in fear, but live in faith. But here with Joseph, we see him being revealed. And when Joseph is revealed to his brothers, we really do see the heart of the gospel, the heart of God, and how God works, because we see the mercy and grace. And, you know, since Joseph is a type of Jesus in so many ways, we do see some interesting things here, because when we come to Christ, we're set free. Of course, the Bible says when we give our life to Jesus, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. Excuse me. Mercy is not getting the punishment we deserve. And grace is giving something we don't deserve. So we deserve punishment. The cross. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. So Jesus took that. The wage of sin is death. So Jesus on the cross is God's wrath revealed against all sin and all unrighteousness. That's the wrath we all deserve. Against Sin against darkness and evil. Every diabolical, sinister, prideful, wicked, evil, licentious thought action of the deepest level was paid for on the cross. The white collar sins and the deepest black collar sins all paid on the cross. So mercy is that Jesus died in our place and as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. That's mercy. Jesus took our punishment. But then we're told that, that he that he become our righteousness. So God made him who knew no sin become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, his perfect sinless life is then imputed to our account or reckoned to our account, like our bank account just went way up. And it's not an IRA or an inheritance estate or something like that. It's straight up from the kingdom. It's everything you need for transcending dimensions to be declared righteous. Grace is eternal life. It's the gift of eternal life. We could never earn it. By grace you've been saved, that through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So whatever our life looked like before we came to Christ, we are saved by grace. We receive the mercy by believing Jesus paid the price for our sins as our Savior, and we receive the grace because it's a gift to be forgiven, and then his righteousness is given to our account. So that every person that ever gives their life to Jesus This is what happens. Christ takes our punishment on the cross, and then Christ's righteousness is impeded or given to us through his death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, we're told in Romans that he's raised from the grave for our justification. His resurrection is the, it's like the trust ceiling of the estate that we're saved by grace, that we're saved. That's what happens. But what happens so often is the devil wants to take us backwards when we're going forward, both in coming to Christ and trying to go forward in Christ. And he wants to beat us up, remind us about relationships we wrecked that we cannot fix, or remind us about evil things we did that we cannot go back and change. He wants to remind us about all these things of the past that we have no control over, because one thing we certainly have no control over is what we did yesterday. We can only accept responsibility and embrace the stewardship of today. The devil always wants to go back. He wants us to look back. Like Lot's wife. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. We press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what's behind, we look on to what lies ahead. Forward, onward, upward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Everything is forward. And so the moment Joseph is revealed to his brothers, he said, hey, listen, it's all good. You didn't do this. God did this. My point isn't really about Joseph, because we've been talking about how he's like this anyways. In chapter 50, we'll get this in great detail. But it's amazing how his maturity to say, you know what, these people threw me under the bus. They, they you know, he had so many things. Like, he, you know, he could have said to his brothers, guys, you know it's it like to do five years in prison for attempted rape when I never even touched a woman, I did the right thing? You guys put me there. Judah, you put me in the pit, man. You sold me for 20 pieces of silver. I can have you crucified upside down right now. I can drag you behind your donkeys. Like, I mean, he couldn't have done any of that. But he's like, it wasn't you. I mean, it's so critical that we can... This is a parenthetical thought, but it's so critical that we know everything's from the Lord. Ultimately, it's from the Lord. A woman and man receives nothing unless it comes to the filter of the Lord, and we need to believe that. We're believing him to raise us from the grave. We can believe him to know that it's all going to work together for good, and what people mean for evil, God will use for good. He will use a no, a closed door, a public crucifixion to move us toward, yes, the kingdom and Christ. And that's what he did with Joseph. And Joseph embraced it by faith. And Manasseh means, I don't, you know, Manasseh and Ephraim mean, I let it go. I forgot about it. I don't even remember what they did. And I'm fruitful where God put me. That's how we want to be. i let it go a long time ago. And I'm fruitful where I'm at. And he named both his kids for those purposes, for what his heart, what, where his heart was at and what he went through from what his brothers did to him. The maturity, the grace, it's incredible. So really, what he's saying, though, look what he says right here, though. Uh, Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you did this to me. Guilt is a powerful force. We talked about this Tuesday night. Guilt is powerful. We can have remorse that we didn't do something the right way or we never called that person and they passed away and all these different things. There's just so much that we can feel bad for if we really want to. And if you're not sure what it is, ask the devil to help you and he will. He'll pour it on. If you don't know what you should feel bad for, he'll be happy to remind you what you should feel bad for just to keep you from going forward. But the Lord's always taking us forward. And I love what Joseph says as a type of Christ here. A, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you did this to me. God sent me before you to preserve life. And that's literally what Christ did on the cross. And it's, some of us are more prone to self-condemn ourselves and beat ourselves up and lament like, man, if I have just done this. And In ministry of 33 years, I've met lots of people ministered to them as a pastor where they just can't let go of past failures and just apply grace properly and apply mercy properly and get going and going forward. It is really important that we understand grace and mercy are not so much like a get-out-of-jail card, but they are important in their application. They are received. They're not earned. And we just, it's, Pointless. There's no value in beating ourselves up for something that happened yesterday when we need to go forward today with what the Lord has for us. Many of you know about five months ago I went up to Skid Row in Los Angeles to meet my good friend Pastor Brad Hilt. He was my assistant pastor in Virginia Beach. And it was very difficult in Virginia Beach, some of the stuff we went through. Some of you know this, but many of you don't. And in the end, we left Virginia Beach, went to Vermont, and started the church in Burlington, Vermont. And uh, Brad made some bad decisions there in Virginia Beach. And they were serious. They were against the law. They were felonies. They weren't just causes for being removed from the ministry. They were causes for being put in jail. And he train wrecked a pretty fruitful church that never really ever recovered. It was a mortal wound. Just bled out slowly over the next few years. But that church never recovered from what he did as the leader of the pulpit. And it is so hard to watch that happen. It just, I can't even tell you. I mean, someone once asked me, Do you have any regrets about Virginia Beach? I'm like, Well, we went there obeying the Lord. We did the best we could, and we turned it over to someone that the Lord raised up. It's between them and the Lord. But yeah, it hurts because we once had a church of like 500 people there. We're thriving and flourishing, and it's gone. And Brad was a key part of how that happened. But when I went to Skid Row, I was going there to see him because he was visiting from Virginia because he works with homeless people in Virginia. And he's been restored in ministry. And I got to tell you, there's just so much joy to see him. And he kept crying, saying, Thank you. Thank you for loving me and thank you for forgiving me. And I just kept saying, I am so glad to see you because we were so close. We were together at Calvary Vista with Brian Broderson in the drug and alcohol ministry. We were so close. We had such sweet fellowship. He's my first right hand man, Brad Hill. Before Brian Jameson and before Jeremy Foster and Alex and Sam, it was Brad Hill. Before Jim O'Connor in Vermont, it was Brad Hill. I didn't see him for 20 plus years. And I got to tell you, when I saw him, it just made me so happy that he chose to go forward. He chose to apply grace and mercy. And he, he basically leads 500 recovering drug addicts who are homeless in a Sunday service in uh, like a D.C. suburb. Good for you. It's a perfect fit. Good for you. See, I want to look at a Brad Hill, and I want to look at my sister, and I want to look at anybody and say grace and mercy to you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how we want to be. We don't want people beating themselves up. I don't want Brad Hill saying, like, I can't do anything. I should just be a drug addict, an alcoholic, and a loser because I wrecked a church 20 years ago. Well, hey, well, that's changed since 1995, right? I mean, nothing looks the same anyways. Let's just go forward. When Joseph Balak was removed from ministry in Laguna Beach 20 plus years ago, and he landed at Calvary Coast to the Mesa. All the Calvary pastors were like going, why did Chuck bring this guy here? I like Joseph Bollick. I did. I, I mean, I do. Like, I like Joseph Bollick. And, like, and it was like, but everyone was like, what in the world is Chuck doing? And you know, one of the most valuable lessons I learned from Chuck was the grace and mercy he showed him. I learned a lot in how Pastor Chuck treated Joseph Bollick when he was removed from the ministry 20 years ago. He gave him a night in the sanctuary. Well, you know, you just never know. You know, like Chuck would go for it. What else are we going to do? We're going to tell Joseph Bach, walk off the Huntington Pier with an anchor tied to your feet? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not who we are. We don't shoot our wounded. The Holy Spirit wants to restore people. And they may not be restored to once they, what they once were, but He certainly wants to restore them to a place of sanctification, consecration, and calling of some sort of service to the Master should never forget that. Do not beat yourself up for what you did. God did it. It's all good. This is something we need to be able to apply to our lives personally for failures, present and future, and be able to look at others and apply them the same way. And finally, of course, the third thing that we see here is this last portion of Scripture where... They go back to their father, and they tell him Joseph is alive, and it's incredible. And so I just have to read this text to us and end on this high note. Then they went up, verse 25 of chapter 45. Then the brothers went up out of Egypt, and they came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, was revived. And then Israel said, see, notice it's calling him Israel instead of Jacob, his holy name, his divine name, governor of God. It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Listen, if you thought your son was dead for 20 years and you found out he was alive, what can you even compare? Like, how can we even wrap our minds around this? It's so unique and so. But you know, sometimes you have in strange relationships that are in strange for twenty years. My sister and I were in strange for five. She'd leave me these crazy messages. I couldn't take them anymore. It's the only time I ever changed my phone number because of my sister's messages when she called me high on drugs. I was just like I can't do this, man. It just my mom never gave up because she's a mom, but I'm an adult sibling. I'm like, you know what? Then my mom would just tell me, Joe, you just need to when you see her on the streets. It's really easy. Just hug her, tell her you love her. That's all you need to do. And that's what I did for a couple years. It was like my sister was dead, and now she's alive. And I don't have to face all this stuff after my mom's decease alone. There are relationships that sometimes might be dead for decades. But you know, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the promises of God, you don't know what relationships God might resurrect from the dead. Because this was a relationship resurrected from the dead. And the joy is unspeakable. It's heart-stopping. We're told that. And you know, remember, we just saw Jacob saying, all these things are against me, right? Like, all these things are against me. We can never win the big one. We always lose the big game. We turn the ball over. We always, something always goes wrong. We can never win it all. And you know what? On this day, he won it all. Jackpot. God wants to do so much more than we could think or ask. And is able to do abundantly above all that we could think or ask for his glory, in the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think we dumb down his person, his character, his power, and his promises. And I think so often we settle for so much less and we look in the mirror and say, All these things are against you, and we should be looking up and saying, God, you are a glorious God. You are El Shaddai, God Almighty. You are the king, and you got this. Joseph lives. We're not done with Israel yet, Jacob, but when the last time we see him before he steps into eternity, when he's probably in assisted living or memory care, he's just praising God and saying what a good journey it's been. Everything God wanted to do was done by the time he stepped into eternity as a patriarch. And so I just want to encourage us tonight that we see the rematch and redemption comes from the rematch and not to give up and quit and not to quit on other people, but to hope all things and believe all things. We also see the mercy and the grace that Joseph showed and said, look, I know it was evil what you did to me, but God is good, and he's bigger than that. Don't beat yourselves up, and we need to receive that for ourselves, and we need to be willing to show that to others. And then we see there's a resurrected joy. When God's ultimate plans come to pass, where all things work together for good to those who love him, and are being conformed to the image of his son, when they run their course, when it's all, the story's not done yet. Not for this country, not for this planet, not for this church, not for the Calvary movement, not for the global body of Christ. The story's not done. It's, 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 it's just going right now. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And who knows what heart-stopping resurrection is around the corner to bless our lives. Who knows what God's going to do in your life to stop your heart and give you so much joy you can't even breathe. (laughs) You ever had like, oh. How to tell this story. But 20 years of coaching with a great U.S. team that could never win the big one and then coaching the last place team in the world, Chile, and getting respectable with it. And then taking a team of a bunch of alternates and JV athletes to Japan to the world championship expecting nothing. And on that last day, 287 heats, that last heat would decide whether or not we might win a gold medal. And when Noah Hill got second place in that final, we won gold. And I just thought, it really happened. Like, I wore the medal all the way home. I wore it on the plane. I came through customs integration, like... (laughs) You know, like, I was like... Cole co was like, dude, take your medal off. I'm not taking your medal off. See, you're you're 17, you care what people think. I'm 57. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm wearing a medal through customs of immigration. Like, I said, Cole, how many times are you going to come home and you're a world champion? Put your medal on. When we came out of LAX and all the parents were waiting downstairs, I told them, hey, put your medals on. We're going to walk down that escalator, you're going to walk down world champions. You may never come off a plane again being a world champion. And your parents have done so much for you. You're going to be standing on that escalator holding up signs saying, Congratulations. They have balloons. Put your medal on. All right. You know, right. and we came, and there they were, all the parents. Like, it really happened. I wore the medal all the way home and I just hang it on the wall. Now it's in a drawer. You just don't know that resurrection that God's going to do in your life will you just go. That's exactly what happened. It took his breath away. So much joy around the corner. Just, it's right there. That's who we serve. That's his heart. Our God's a blessing God. Don't miss it.